I'll just read the text that we'll be looking at this morning and then uh, we'll pray and ask God's blessing on our consideration. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who endures I'm sorry. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. We are thankful, our Lord and our God, for our consideration of the Lamb who sits at your right hand. We ask you, Lord, that you would use this message to strengthen our faith. Our desire is to join those who sing that song. Our desire is to join the great company in heaven. We need your help, Lord, to persevere in trial. We need your help to endure at times. We are thankful for the first word in our text, blessed. We are thankful that our God has designed and desired to bless man, and we pray that we would learn how to be blessed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In our previous studies in James, we saw the diversity of James' letter. He introduces himself and then right away talks to those people who were dispersed. We so far have looked at three sections, verses 2 through 4, the purpose of trials, it's to make us perfect and complete and lack in nothing. We also looked at the danger of trials because James puts that juxtaposition right in there in verse 5, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and then verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom. And so he talked to us and spoke to us about God's fullness in giving wisdom. But the danger is that we would waver. The danger is that we would doubt. The danger is that we would end up being double-minded and tossed around by our trials rather than strengthened by our trials. The last time we considered the James, we looked at verses 9 through 11. The poor man was to exalt in his humiliation. He says, well, how much more humble can I get? I'm poor. I don't have anything. What do you mean? Well, James is talking about that your exaltation is that, you, that you're a son of Christ, you're a son of God, that, that you're saved. And then he goes on to say, and the rich man, in his humiliation, and the rich man would say, what do you mean? I'm rich. I have everything. But what James is driving at and was that here is a rich man who's a Christian man and he should exalt in his humiliation because the rich don't often come to Christ. The rich don't often see their need. The rich are not often humbled by their circumstances. They say, I have everything I want. The rich man looked around and he said, I have everything I need. I'm going to build barns and more barns and I'm going to spread out, not consolidate. And the next verse says, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. The rich man and Lazarus, uh, Gary probably covered that already. The, the man sat with sores, dog, dogs licked his wounds, and the other guy paid no attention to him. 
He had everything he wanted, but in hell he lifted up his eyes. The lesson is how hardly can the rich be saved, but the rich man could rejoice that, that he was a believer, that God's spirit broke through all the confidence that he could have in riches, that God's spirit, in a sense, put the camel through the eye of the needle, and the rich man was saved. And then James says, that's a good idea, because like the scorching sun comes, all your stuff is just going to go away. There's Psalms in Job. It says, where is the rich man after he's gone? Who remembers the place where he was? And James uses those words. He will pass away. He'll disappear in the midst of his pursuits. One day he's gone. He's got the Wall Street Journal. He's planning. He's buying. He's doing this or doing that. Uh, uh, the next day he's gone. Uh, blessed is the man. So this morning, uh, God willing, we're going to look at the blessedness, the burden, uh, the test and the reward, the confirmation, and then the, the foundation or the principle uh, of love. The point, the point of the text, uh, ha, really it's many. Uh, the first thing is that God overrules and sanctifies or makes use of our trials and difficulties. Trials provide a benefit and not a deficit. Our text says, blessed is the man who endures. You say, oh, I, I just kind of don't like that idea. But that's the point. Trials provide a benefit and not a deficit. We learn, we grow, we gain in patience, we gain in hope, and we're taken off of our worldly thoughts by God's dealing with us in our trials. Who else could be blessed by encountering various trials? Who else could say God's intention is that I will be better off after the trial than before? We are the only ones that can say that. The danger for a worldling in trials is that they're harder, they're more calloused, they're more cynical, they're more angry. And you've probably, you've probably seen those people. Life has dealt me a blow. I can't stand it. There's nothing but trouble. I'm always in trouble. I'm always having difficulty. But who can make blessedness out of difficulty? Who can make blessedness out of trial? God makes the difference because that is his purpose. The Lord intended for us to guide our lives in the light of foreseeable good. The text shows us that God wants us to, to see a foreseeable good. We might, use the, we might use the term a light at the end of the tunnel. Brethren, I would submit to you the light at the end of the tunnel is only a speck compared to the foreseeable good for the Christian. Amen. You'll see glory. You'll see God. You'll see Christ. That's the goal. That's the foreseeable good. Well, I just don't really know if I need that much patience. I just don't really know how to deal with this affliction. Well, that's what the first section was for. Then ask for wisdom and pursue wisdom. But God deals with us so that we have a purpose. Maybe you've worked at a task or a job. I know I have where you say, 
what in the world am I doing here day after day? I am just spinning my wheels. Well, I would submit to you, brethren, that as a believer, as you undertake your job, your task, your life's goal, that you are never, ever spinning your wheels. Your life has a purpose. Your life has a reason. Your life has a goal. We'll also see that the, the core grace that's mentioned here is our reciprocal love to God. God blesses, we bless him back. God loves, we love because he first loved us. We, we, we could say that over and over in, in study in this text. We love him because he first loved us. Yes. Romans 8, 28. All things work together to good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? Those who love God. It's both things. Providence and my responsibility. Providence and my reaction. What's in my heart? What, what drives me day by day? And it should be deep down inside. What drives me is Jesus paid it all. Yes. And I never saw him. And I never faced him. And he never said one word to me. But even though I don't see him, I love him. That's the idea. That's in the text. It, it's, it's also a, a reminder of conditions, conditions in salvation. We saw it already. What do I need? I need wisdom. But what happens? Doubt comes in. Then what do I do? I, I'm tossed. What if I trust in riches? The scorching heat comes. We know what scorching heat. We know what scorching heat is like. You walk out of, out of here in August and you, 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 you almost feel like it's pushing you down. We know about it. There's conditions that come up, rich or poor, in need of faith, doubting, cast, tossed around. Conditions. But faith must be kept to the end. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Endurance and perseverance always must be maintained till the end. And James holds out this great blessing and follows with the the necessary caution against blaming God. That's verse 13. Well, I'm, I'm undergoing trials. Now I feel tempted to do this in verse 13. We'll see. He says, don't blame God for temptations. He doesn't tempt anybody. Right. You're tempted because of what's here. Right. And brethren, we have to humbly submit to God sometimes and say, the trial that I went through only showed me what was really in my heart. Little trials can do that. If I have a temper, if I'm impatient driving, I know that. I know I am. A little trial. Get this guy out of my way. And there's anger. Or I call them a name. I commit murder, Jesus says. You fool! Get out of my way. The little trial of somebody not pulling away from the stoplight showed me what was really in my heart. Brethren, that's, uh, that's the danger that we'll 
uh, come up next. And so, first of all, then, the blessedness. Blessed is the man. You say, oh, that sounds good. And it is good. The, the term is used over 500 times in Scripture. The word means blessed or happy, and I love, I love blessed because of the Beatitudes. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. The foundation of blessedness is God. There's no blessedness without God. And God created the world, and then he blessed all the creatures, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And God created the world, and then he said to, to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Uh, part of the blessing that I'm putting on you is that you have free reign over my creation. In, in Genesis 2, 3, God set the framework of all history. And it said, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work and, and created man. God's view of all history is work, rest, worship. Work, rest, worship. Do you know what we're going to do when all our work is done? We are going to rest and worship forever. Amen. You remember the picture that we talked about? Owen said the picture of fellowship between pastor and people, the Christian fellowship, it's a picture of heaven. Well, that's a picture of heaven that God said this day forever is going to be different than any day because I'm going to let people rest and I'm going to let them worship me in freedom. And I'm going to teach them how to do it. I'm going to train them how to do it. And I'm going to take them out of Egypt so that they see that their powerful God provided this rest. And you put your tools down. And you put your work down. And you put your computer down. And you go up and you say, bless the Lord who redeemed me from Pharaoh. Bless the Lord who redeemed me from the curse. Bless the Lord because all I had to do was was wipe the lintel with, a, with blood and I was saved and every Egyptian child who was a firstborn died. But we, how much more? The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the powerful, perfect atonement of Christ, not blood on the doorpost, but blood literally that Hebrews says can get into my conscience and let me know you are right with God. And then we say, bless the Lord. When's the Lord's day? Mark it down because I want to go bless the Lord. I want to go praise the Lord. And that's what God said. Work, rest, worship. Work, rest, worship. And heaven, no more work and all worship. And we just, we join those people that we, we sang of before. God initiates the pattern. He told he told Abraham, you almost, can't, you almost can't see how many times I'm going to bless you and bless the nations. And anybody who blesses you, I'll bless. And anybody who curses you, I'll curse. It's like six times he tells, tells Abraham, blessing, blessing, blessing. But then what happened is after a while, men realized their blessings came from God. And Noah said, I'm going to return the blessing. And in Genesis 9:26, he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shen. 
in Genesis 24. Here goes, here goes Abraham's servant. He says, your goal is to find my son a wife. And the guy's praying all the way, isn't he? Remember that prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do. And the only way that my goal can be accomplished is if you do this. And he says, uh, well, have one of these women that comes up to get water ask me if they want to feed the camels too. That's pretty specific, isn't it? What happens? Here she comes. Could I have a drink of water? Yeah, I'll feed your camels too. Well, there's the wife. But what does he say? Blessed be the Lord God, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness. He sees the whole thing. You can't pray a specific prayer like that. See the answer and not say, bless the Lord. We do it. We say, bless the Lord for answered prayer. And there is the full circle, isn't it? God blesses you and you bless him back. And that's why we sang that hymn. Blessing and honor and power and glory and strength. That's what we want. We just want to tell God how blessed he is all the time. So then there's texts that use the, that use the phrase blessed. The, the top thing, and we've mentioned it already, is Psalm 32, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. How, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit, isn't it? What's your record before God? Blameless. What? How is that? Oh, because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All my sins are washed away. Don't you know Psalm 32, verse 1? It's the pinnacle blessing. But then what is it? But look at all these other ones. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is those whose strength is in you. Blessed is the one who you instruct. I'm not going to mention all 500, but you get the idea. And you say, well, well, why are you making such a big deal of this? I'm making such a big deal of this because we're in, in trials and difficulties. Sometimes the last thing we feel is that God's blessing me. I just was in a car accident. Bless the Lord. That's not, that's not our knee-jerk reaction. Blessing everywhere. Blessing from God. And, and we return. And then, of course the Lord Jesus Christ began his teaching with the words blessing. The Sermon on the Mount is not the first recorded teaching of Christ. He comes in, in uh, chapter 4 and to uh, Zebulun and Naphtali and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, later in chapter 4, it says he, he preached the gospel. Uh, the, the gospel is good news because you can be right with God. You're a sinner who can be right with God. So he was preaching before. Uh, but even as uh, Pastor Smith said, this phrase, he opened his mouth, was one that was used by Paul. Pray for me so that I might open my mouth. And he stood before one of those kings and then it said, Paul opened his mouth. Well, Jesus sat down. Some of his miracles made sure that there was hundreds of people around and he sat down and he opened his mouth and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted, and they say all evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. And, and Jesus, in a sense, breaks it down. There's things that would cause spiritual benefit to me. Comfort, I'll be satisfied, I'll obtain mercy, and I'll be called the Son of God. But there's also things that look forward. You're going to start here, uh, he says, but you've, you've got a goal. What's the goal? What is the eschatological blessing? What is the end time blessing? You're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. That's used twice. You'll inherit the earth. Well, we don't inherit what's here. We inherit part of the new one. What else? You'll see God. And what else? There's great reward in heaven. Part of it happens right now. Part of it is right now. But part of it is you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's what the Lord wants us to see in his use of blessedness. And this was one of the first things he said. And we talked about it at the men's meeting. When it says this is going to be your blessing, it makes you want to do what is necessary. Oh, the poor in spirit are going to be blessed? Lord, help me to be poor in spirit. That's what I want. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to be blessed? Will God please help me to do that? Because I want the blessing. If, if you've seen already, only God is the one who can make sure. Where are the blessings of Abraham now? They're being worked out every day, aren't they? Every, every person that's converted is, a, is, is an answer to that promise. Well, who's going to be blessed? All nations. And then Ho Jun preaches to somebody in South Korea and they're saved. What is that? That's a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that nations are going to be blessed because of this covenant. So that is the blessing. All blessing comes from God. God intends man to be blessed. Salvation is the watershed blessing. That's the, that's the thing that, that we need more than anything else. And then, uh, although times are difficult, the Christian life is the only path of blessing. That's our Christian worldview. People will ask you that. Well, what's your worldview? I only have one, the Christian worldview. And they'll say, well, that's crazy. And then you just move on. But here uh, comes the situation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And James brought it up before. Steadfast under trial. Uh, it means somebody who continues firm, who doesn't hold out. Somebody who remains constant uh, under pressure. James in James 5.11 says, We count those blessed who endures. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you point to Job? 
look at God's dealings with him. There's nobody on the face of the earth like him. And, and he, gets the, he gets some of the worst things that happened to him that ever happened to anybody. Endure. Endure. We're, we're pressed under trials. Blessed is the man who endures steadfast under trial. And then the test and the reward. For when he has been approved, he shall receive the crown of life. God, help me to be improved. Help me to remain steadfast. The word approved means to pass the test, to be judged worthy, uh, to be examined, uh, to be tried and true. I, I looked up that, that word and they say it goes all the way back to the 1700s, but they can't figure out where it came. But something is tried and found out to be true. Something is genuine, even after it's tested. That's the idea. Uh, the secular use comes from those who uh, used to validate coins and currency as being genuine. I don't know if they bid it like you see somebody bite a coin and that. But they validated coins. They, they looked at this coin and, and said, yes, this, this is a real coin. This is a true coin. Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Study so that after a while, people can look at your ministry and say, his ministry is proven because he brings us the word. His ministry is, is proven because we're edified uh, when he preaches. Uh, there's, importance, there's an importance here in the test and the reward because the importance is proven character. The approval comes from God. The, the goal in the first two verses was knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here, here it is, here it is as if God is looking over your shoulder. Here is bringing God close. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God has promised it. There can be no higher approval. The approval of others just pales in comparison with the approval that, that we receive. I could go to work all day and unload trucks and take care of customers and put batteries in and have them say, good job. But it's nothing, nothing compared to God saying, you're approved. You endured in trial. You remained steadfast. You're approved. You're tested and you're proven to be genuine. You're proven to be real. There's, there's, no, there's no higher approval. The great example of being approved is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That Hebrews says that the author of our salvation was perfected through sufferings. Mm -hmm. You would say, Lord, I understand it. I deserve it. I never loved God. I never followed God. I hated God. I wanted my own way. I rebelled, but Jesus was perfect. How come he had to suffer? How come he had to cry out? How come he had to learn obedience? It's a mystery. But it said he became to all those who obey him the source of e e eternal salvation. Somehow, 
in the mystery of Christ enduring suffering, in the mystery of the garden and praying, please, I don't want to do this, in the mystery of, of him crying, in the mystery of him learning obedience, he's a better savior. We don't have a high priest who can't relate to our weaknesses, he's, Hebrews says, right? But one who in all points is tempted like me, like me. The thoughts that come into my mind sometimes, I don't know where they are, first of all, and secondly, I don't know why I could think such foul things sometimes. And here is a person that never thought one speck, one imagination that was off, one, one deviation of affections, will, or mind, never, ever, ever. And he suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered. And the question is, if Christ was proved and suffered to be better qualified in his calling, why not us? Peter says, Christ has given you an example of suffering that you would do what? Follow in his steps. Follow in his steps. If they hated me, they'll hate you, he says. You say, well, what did I get into here? You, 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 just, you just got into life. James says, or Job says, man is born to trouble, his sparks fly upward. You, you see that bonfire? Where do the sparks go? That's your life. You're just waiting for the next problem to happen. You, you say, what am I going to do? Well, well, this is what you have to do. You have to see the blessedness. The positive effects of proven character. Notice what, in Romans, we looked at this text. Tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint. There's the whole thing all over again in Romans, the same thing. Proven character is the foundation of other graces. And then we get to the crown. And the crown is really fascinating. The crown is not, brethren, talking about justification. It means that it doesn't mean that you're not saved until you get the crown. It just means the crown is something else, something extra. You're justified, you're saved, you're persevering. And the Bible just uses this word crown as something extra. It's very interesting how it's used. Jesus speaks to the churches, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He's not talking about justification. He's just talking about, think about this and you'll get a crown. And we'll look at what, what, uh, what Paul says, Revelation 3.11. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Uh, I don't know if you remember what we studied in uh, Colossians. Those three passages, let no one say this. Let no one lead you away. Let no one judge you. Let no one tell you you're disqualified because you're not following these rules. Well, that's the idea. Jesus is saying, don't let anybody mess up your crown by coming in with false teaching and everything. You're saved, but I also want you to have the crown. Paul uses the picture that, that this really is taking from. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Well, what about all the other people in the congregation, Lord? That's not what Paul says. Run the race that you may win. All right? All right, Mr. Hillis, I'm going to beat you there. 
And he says, yeah, go ahead. I'll be right behind you. You see what Paul's saying? Run so that you can win. And what? Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Ever see a fat marathon runner? Ever see somebody run a marathon with a cane? They discipline themselves. They then run to receive a perishable crown, but what? We? Imperishable. You can't take it away. The guy wins the race. Everybody's shaking his hands. Winner of the race, this guy gets the crown. What's, where's the crown six months later? I won that in a race, but it's, uh, it's drying out now. No, but, but Paul says, you run, and what kind of crown do you get? Imperishable. Well, it'll never go away. In the future, he says, Paul says, my life is almost over, he tells Timothy. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, where righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm going to persevere to the end. I'm striving, I'm striving, and I'm going to die. And what's going to happen? They're going to say, Paul, here's your crown. You see how he sees it. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You would almost say, I don't care what happens to me. I can't wait for that. I can't wait till Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and puts a crown on me. That's what I want. The approval of Jesus Christ. I'm justified. I'm there. Peter says to pastors, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's not justification. It's just something extra. But the picture is you're running a race and we have to run as if nobody else was there. Hebrews says, get rid of the weak knees, get rid of all the things that drag you down because you got to go someplace. You got to persevere. You got to win the race of the Christian life. It's not a temporary prize. It's quite the opposite of what we get. And, and the unfading crown of life means we're partakers in glory. And then James underscores it and he says, which the Lord has promised. You say, oh, well, that's good. I can depend on God's promises, can I? He's a covenant God. He's got covenant promises. He's got covenant relationships and they're binding and sure. And Hebrews says, well, he didn't just make a promise. He made an oath also. So that by two things, you'll know that, that, that what God said is true. Well, why would God have to give an oath and a promise if his word is sure? By his word, the, the whole place stands together. The scientists got that new telescope. It's going out there. It's finding all these things. They're like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. And Colossians says, in Jesus Christ, all things consist. Everything holds together. God right now is, is holding up those galaxies that this telescope has seen for the first time. Oh, look at this. Look at that. God says, yeah, I know. I, I made that. And whether it's expanding or it expanding faster than they thought or these planets should be yellow instead of blue because this and that and this. No. God promised. God promised. God promised. 
It's binding and it's sure. It's binding and sure. What happened with Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What from? God's promise. What, what happens to us? It's God's promise. I'll surely bless you. Hebrews, the writer, sums it up. This hope we have, the promise, as an anchor to the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one that enters in the veil. Well, well ships lay out an anchor so they can stay in a certain place. Even in the bad storm, in Acts, they put four anchors out to hold the ship. That's good. Where does my anchor go? It's as if the writer to Hebrews says, your anchor gets thrown right into the throne room of heaven. And that's the safety of your soul because it's dug in to the fabric of the eternal God who made, who made those promises. It's not in the bottom of the sea. It's not just holding something in this tempest. It goes within the veil. Nobody was allowed in the veil before. Now I have access. Nobody could pray, go in and out and pray. Uzziah, the king we talked about, they told him, get away from the altar. You're a king. You can't be making sacrifices. Oh, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm the king. Yeah? Well, now you're leprous. Nobody could go into the veil. But then the text says where Jesus has entered as a forerunner, what? For us. Where am I going? I'm going to be with Jesus. Where's my anchor? It's right there at his feet. It's dug into the... It's dug into heaven someplace. I don't understand it. But it's based on the promises of God. Promise, promise, promise. Do you see how blessed you can be? Oh, I'm getting knocked around. Do you see the blessedness? And then the, the, here's the principle of love. God's promised it to those who love him. Well, you say, now that sounds conditional. No, it's not conditional. It's necessary. We said it before. We love him because he first loved us. What is my response? What is God's command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's been right from the beginning. What motivates me? The love of God. What motivates me? Well, in times when I'm not in trial, that motivates me. I really serve the Lord when I'm not under trial. No, that's not right. And we have to sing with the hymn, don't we? More love to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. Because the native thing is to go back to, boy, this Art Mink guy, I really like him a lot. I really like myself. <coughs> this discipline of the Lord, it's pretty unpleasant. Hebrew says that, doesn't seem, doesn't seem pleasant, does it? But what's the motivation? The principle of love. And if we look at the contrast, Paul tells Timothy, look at what we can expect people to do. In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, etc., 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 lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, you say, you say, then I better. I better figure out who I love. I better find more motivation. I better meditate on Christ's salvation more because these, these things that James is trying to get across, they're good things. 
I want the crown. I want to be blessed. And God is the one who can dispense that blessing. I think, I think that we, in times of difficulty, Gene and I have known that afterward God blessed us and brought us through. I would say that, that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know. God is the one that got me through. God is the one that's preserved me to this day. And I've been walking with the Lord, you might say, for 50 years. And I know every year God brought me there. Every year he took me there. And I suffered sickness and loss and disappointment and all these other things. But then at the end of each trial, in a sense, you said, Jesus led me all the way. I've come from point A for point B by his grace. And point A to point B was very difficult. We often classify that, don't we? Oh, that was the biggest trial I ever faced. The night I was converted, the night I told God, I'm a broken man. I need help. I've disobeyed your commandments. I went out with the woman that brought me to that meeting and I had a flat tire. She said, oh good, your first trial. I was like, I'll give you a trial. But I didn't understand. The next thing you know, a guy came from out of, out of nowhere. Nine o'clock at night in New York City. You need some help? <coughs> yeah. Was I looking destitute enough? Right? And I always planned ahead. My spare had nowhere in it either. He says, look down there. You see down there two or three blocks? You see that light that's coming down on the sidewalk? Oh, yeah. That's a place that fixes cars. We'll take the tire down there and you could get it fixed. You see, that's what happens. That's what happens to somebody who's been saved for a half hour. And now it's 50 some years ago, whatever it is. You know what happened? God's always there. Oh, this is your 90th trial. Yeah, it is. But what is he there? Jesus led me all the way. Always, 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 always is faithful. It's a promise and his intention is to, is to bless you. So applications, I, I know we're over time, but you're a captive audience. Steer a straight course in trial. That's what James is telling us. You're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You say, but I, I need wisdom. Then he says, steer a straight course. Don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't waver. Don't be double-minded. And here basically is the same thing. You have to know that you're blessed. Don't walk around saying, well, nobody knows. Nobody knows all the stuff that I have to go through. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows. That. No, 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 no. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You have to steer a straight course. You ask God, you ask your friend, friend, could you help me steer a straight course? By the way, if you hear me complain, friend, would you help me not to complain? Would you help me to understand that I'm blessed? Would you help me understand that it's a promise? Would you help me understand that I have an anchor in the veil? The second thing is to revert, uh, re rehearse, not revert, rehearse and look at all the promises. There's that song that's very simple, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Okay, I get that. But you don't have to sing a little 
song, but you can put them all down, right? You can start to think about them. And Paul says, that's a good idea because whatever is pure, honorable, or right, oh, that's what you're supposed to be thinking about. The, so steer the straight course, rehearse and look at the promises, think about them, and then uh, stir up our love for Christ by thinking of his love for me. And trials are something we get banged up. I just, I, I read a book on uh, God's rod. And that was hard to read. But you, you know how we get in trials and we think, is this because of sin? Is this because of that? Is this because of that? It's worth to read that because he had 12 reasons. And I was like, how'd you figure out 12? But the bottom line is I have to remember that God loves me. It was demonstrated, doesn't it? Because Christ died for sinners. While I was ungodly, while I didn't care, while I was a rebel, Paul says Christ died for the ungodly. And then I would say, bless the Lord. How could somebody love me? How could somebody help me? That's because he's a lover of souls. That's because who Jesus is. And then finally, finally, it's God's intention to bless you all the way into eternal life. I had three passages in Revelation. I'm not going to read them. But he says, blessed is the person, basically, that gets there, that sees the end and perseveres. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he's approved, he received a crown of life that God has promised to all those that love him. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for these words. We're thankful for James' pastoral way of dealing with his people, to show him different ways of trial and then sum it up in such a beautiful way. We ask that you would use our thoughts, use our words, use your word to strengthen us in these things because we know that trials could be around the corner. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful, Lord, for those calm seasons that you do give us, the times that we can be refreshed and relax a little bit. We do ask that you would help us uh, to follow the directions of your word and look to that blessed hope that you point us to. In Jesus' name, amen.